All right, welcome back to week 39 and 52 founders. I'm Chrissy Costa and joining me this week is Mantis Grabilis, founder and CEO of Accelerated Dynamics, a full staff robotics intelligence solution that is optimized for enterprise applications. From drones to satellite systems to unmanned boats, Accelerated Dynamics is transforming these products into IoT devices that no longer require human operators. Continuing from last week's theme, Mantis and I discuss how machine learning is transforming the robotics industry and why London is the ideal place for deep tech startups. And with that, let's take a listen. All right, so Mendes, thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So start by telling us about Accelerated Dynamics and what it is. Basically, we are a startup based in London, uh, started in August 2016, uh, closed around then. Uh, basically, uh, we have been incubated at EF for six months uh, before fundraising. EF is uh, a London-based incubator for startups. So the company is about actually building uh, AI for robots, specifically AI that manages fleets of robots. And so we're, we're talking about mobile robotics, something like uh, drones, self-driving cars, satellites, uh, underwater boats, basically anything that's unmanned. And uh, the way it started was I, I did my thesis on the same topic, and I, I realized that you know, commercial, commercially there is nothing like this. So there is a need for that, obviously. At that point in time, when I finished my thesis, uh, I realized that the most technology, technological development is happening on the uh, military sort of domain. And the companies that were doing that maybe some time earlier were bought by military primes. Uh, uh, and uh, the technology never saw the day of light uh, in the commercial world. So I thought I had to do it myself, and, and uh, this was one of the reasons to start a company. So the first market uh, that we're attacking for the AI, uh, like by providing a commercial AI that controls fleets of robots is um, uh, drones. Uh, UAV uh, type drones that can uh, sort of quadcopters or fixed-wing uh, UAVs. Uh, we are looking at how to disrupt the market completely, uh, like basically take out the uh, uh, person who is controlling the drone out of the equation, because this is not how the future looks like. If imagine if we had like uh, five million drones in the next, I don't know, five seven years. Imagine you would have to basically have five million people controlling these drones. So it's, it's not. That's right. What you want to do is you have a software that uh, AI basically that controls those drones and that designates their missions and make sure that they don't crash, that's collision order, that's the path planning, decision making, and so forth, and collect the data, put them where the, the data is supposed to be, analyzes them, and gives out the user sort of on the, the most important information. So you can kind of abstract the drone as an IoT device using the software like what we have. It's funny because I get your point about. With five million people, that'd be so many people trying to, you know, command drones. But giving artificial intelligence to robots, it depends on where you fall on the spectrum. I personally think it's exciting. But what do you say to the people where, you know, that might be nervous that you're working towards something about having these drones work autonomously without humans? Sure. So that's kind of happening now anyway it's behind the scenes for instance uh, I, I don't know about the US but in London we have quite quite a lot of applications like uh, self-driving trains uh, that are quite uh, like there's one line fully automated that uh, still has people around but it's completely self-driving train 
and it just swings people around and it's all fine and they think it's pretty efficient in doing that. And there has been some news recently about self-flying planes. People are looking into how to automate the planes completely, like companies like Boeing. Uh, there was a backlash from the public saying that they would never fly an automated plane. Um, so uh, there's always yeah, some unrest in there, but uh, once the technology becomes safe enough and sufficiently tested, people will just take it as granted without even realizing that they're using it. So I think regarding self-flying planes, like uh, cargo planes are right now being automated completely. And once that technology has been worked out and is safe enough to, to use in any environment conditions, the commercial planes will be automated. So I think self-driving cars as well, uh, there's a lot of buzz around today about self-driving cars. They are going to be autonomous one way or another in the future. At some level, maybe it's going to be manual whenever you want it. So, and, and uh, regarding all, all other autonomy problems, uh, anything about like, you know, Skynet stuff uh, and then Ultron uh, or whatever, it's not going to happen, I think. <laughs> Unless, of course, there's somebody like a hacker behind behind the computer. But uh, yeah, so, so uh, robots are pretty dumb. We just have to be safe and, and we have to be doing uh, a job for us. And autonomy is just going to help us to make it uh, make it be more efficient. Yes, that's how I view autonomy as well. So what is it like growing a startup in London? Why did you pick London? Was it because you wanted to be an entrepreneur first or were you there already for some reason? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Actually, uh, London is the best place in Europe, I think, if you wanted to do an uh, AI startup. And you can try your luck in the United States. Uh, me being European, I think London was the best option. And my university was uh, here, so I had some contact regarding my, my previous work. So my supervisor was uh, quite helpful. And it's a nice city. Uh, funding is available here. It's not as much as you would get in the uh, United States. Basically, uh, European startups raise usually for seed stage uh, up to one million based by default. It's like sort of stand, standard uh, stuff. And United States, for the same thing, what we're doing right now, you probably be looking at five or uh, six million for the seed stage, which is much more. But I mean, I, I can't really comment too much on US investment. We didn't have a chance yet to look at that. Being European, I think we can't really jump directly into the United States. By, like, after waiting all my options, I think it shows London because uh, it's definitely the, right, the best place to be right now. Even even after Brexit, uh, London is still by, by far the best city in Europe, I think, to do a startup. And going through incubators like ES opens new doors to investors and investors are much more willing to talk to you uh, after you came out from sort of well-respected incubator. Anybody who is uh, from uh, Central Europe or Eastern Europe or whatever comes uh, and uh, tries to pitch to investors without going through the incubator, I think is going to have much, much, much less success. It opens doors for sure. And I think London, I agree with you that London is a very strong location to start a company, especially if you are European. So for Entrepreneur First, for those people that might not be familiar with it, it's an incubator, but... It's a little unique in the sense that people necessarily don't always come in with a partner. Actually, the first few months of it, it's technical founders and business founders might find each other and create a company. And so was that your experience or did you already have a co-founder before joining EF? Well, I think I think my experience was a bit unique. So I, I came in with an idea that I already worked out during my thesis. So I didn't have to look and kind of decide what you want to do. I knew exactly what you want to do. And this idea was basically AI for, for uh, drone job management was in works for at least two years before I joined EF. And I was just looking for a co-founder who is capable to and working on the same subject and level where I am. So I found a co-founder. Basically, I was pretty, quite lucky, I think, to find a co-founder who was uh, 
into as, as deep into robotics as, as I was at that point. And uh, uh, EF by by default asks you uh, asks to be at least two people per, per startup because we worked out that their model is the most successful for two uh, startup founders, and that makes sense. So often that makes a lot of sense because you have to be able to uh, pick up sort of each other as if, uh, if uh, you can handle uh, or all the stress or, or, or all the work on your own. Also uh, regarding uh, complementary skills, it's, it's, uh, it's at some some level important, but uh, I think. You just have to be very, like both founders have to be technical enough to understand what they're doing and try to basically be able to build it themselves first uh, and then start hiring team once we have built the initial prototype. So we, we did a lot of prototyping and testing. Basically, all of it, what we have right now, we actually managed to build ourselves before wondering anything that's relating to business. Basically, yeah. Uh, says that uh, technical founders can do can become really good can have basically good business skills uh, can develop them as they go. So they don't really ask for any business experience, prior business experience for, for, for founders to have. I do. I'm a big fan of EF, and I really love the companies coming out of there. But let's talk now about you. So you were telling me you were from Lithuania originally. Yep, that's me. Where did you grow up in Lithuania? Uh, Capital mostly in Vilnius. It's, it's a really nice place. It's a bit cold in the winters, but it's, it's really nice. So I grew I, I up there and uh, I, I was studying there and went uh, to do Erasmus. Uh, I, I don't know if you know what's Erasmus in, in Europe, it's super popular, it's basically an exchange program uh, that lets the student to take uh, one semester or two semesters course in uh, another European country. And uh, I did that in Spain. So that, that really helped. To, Kind of broaden my perspective on things and what you want to do. So I was quite, quite, quite I, I think, I have to say, I wasn't really fitting in just basic academia background. I always wanted to do more and explore things and do different things. So I used to take courses that never were in the curriculum just to see how it is and decide kind of what you want to do. So after, after I finished my studies, I went to to do some work, kind of get some work experience and engineering. So I was doing a lot of design, uh, industrial robotic design in the UK and Lithuania as well. I was always saying I want to do robotics and in master's or PhD, but didn't have enough funds. So it was kind of it's just basically saving money for that. Got enough money within two years. I went to do master's and this, this is where the fun started. Uh, then I kind of came in with an idea already what he wanted to do. I found a supervisor who was uh, uh, capable of actually looking after my project and then he was guiding me to the point where uh, the idea took shape into what it is today. So what did your parents do for a living growing up? My father is a businessman. He's been doing quite a lot of things actually. Uh, and he's a like uh, he's a local businessman. He has uh, like a small uh, dry cleaner shop. He also does. He's also involved in uh, forestry businesses. In Lithuania, we have lots of forests, so there's lots of business for that. And mm-hmm. he used to also sell insurance. I mean, he he comes from engineering background. Uh, he's very hands-on. He can. He, I mean, he's a do-it-yourself guy. He can he can basically he, he can do anything at home. And of course, as well. So he he was nurturing my interest in engineering, I think, in, in, in the early days. My mother as well, was, uh, she had a small uh, flower shop, so mm-hmm. a local flower shop. So they, had, they were kind of both self-employed. So being an entrepreneur is not a foreign concept to you. Did you grow up thinking that you wanted to have your own business as well? I don't know. I think uh, uh, when I was growing up, I, I, didn't really want, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. It was... Uh, 
exploring things. And I think what I needed to do is just after finishing school, take a one year off and uh, kind of uh, broaden my uh, field of view, understand about things. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I knew what we wanted to do in the beginning. I, I, I knew mm-hmm. that we wanted to build things. I, I really liked building stuff and I was, you know, just on the weekends basically designing just for fun, making 3D animations, building movies, building robots, 3D printers, whatever. But never thought of it as a, to be my day-to-day. I mean, it's interesting that you were always building things, though, from a young age, especially given what kind of business you're creating right now. But I think you know, maybe seeing your parents have their own business, do you think you, were you nervous to then start your own business? Or do you think that having that growing up kind of makes you not fear being an entrepreneur? I think, uh, I don't think about it. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> this. Uh, it like, sounds stupid, probably, but uh, I, I felt like this is a way to actually build what I felt like is necessary to build. Basically, I saw that there is a problem right now in the uh, in the industry, and actually, I couldn't I couldn't find a place like a kind of company I'd like to work for that is doing what I feel like I want to do. And mm-hmm. the only way to do it was to build it myself. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship for me is uh, you know just a huge headache actually. To be honest, it's just like <laughs> a lot of responsibilities and things like that. I, I don't I don't enjoy it that much as uh, I'd like to. But I really like building things, and that's what keeps me going. Because I see things coming uh, alive. What we're doing right now, every every day we just uh, get better and better. And the initial vision that we had is just already is basically there now. And and uh, the product is avail- available right now. So it's just amazing seeing how it came out. Uh, so you know, initial concept into a real thing, and people using it and saying that it's amazing. It's just, just kind of feel that and, and then, you, then you see that this this is the right path to take it. I think that's why that's what it is yeah and so you mentioned your gap year what did you do during your gap year to help you figure out what you wanted to do i think that's a really interesting thing to do and actually one i highly recommend i think that i went to college not knowing what i wanted for my degree and i i would have liked to have more time to figure it out and be more thoughtful about it Absolutely, I totally agree with that. So, so what what I mentioned is that I didn't have a chance to take a gap year. Oh, you didn't? Oh, okay, uh, sorry. No, yeah, but but I I did actually took a gap year in that sort of. Uh, then I did an exchange program. I went to Spain, mm, okay. and I, I I was doing all kind of. I mean, I was still doing, required to study the the exams and then to to, to to do everything. Uh, however, there was a huge language barrier because nobody spoke English in, in Spain, and apparently that was surprising. Very surprising. You know, I had to learn Spanish within two months, <laughs> otherwise I would fail everything. So and during that time, I was, I was uh, just taking all kind of courses that I, I would never taken and just explore things like do all kind of sports and whatever, meet people, uh, go places, uh, just. Uh, it's a perfect environment for basically uh, being a student and uh, uh, meeting new people from different cultures. So basically, you see uh, people coming out from everywhere, from all over Europe, do the same course. And uh, and then I, I stumbled across a couple of things that kind of uh, shaped the idea of where I see things going forward. What you're building is we're at a really interesting point in technology, and I think it's a really exciting time to be. In entrepreneurs, particularly in deep tech. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, it, it, it's strange how, how it works. It's actually, you know, the sci-fi of what was sci-fi ten years ago is it's not really sci-fi anymore. And today, sci-fi is actually hard to write because it's 
I mean, if you think about it, you know, what, what else can happen right now? So we have to look at this technology as something that uh, enables us, and, and we have to be uh, much more proactive in using it. There are so many people who are, you know, always, always sort of, uh, uh, always build a wall against themselves. Imagine when the smartphones came up, came out, uh, everybody was kind of used to old, old ways of doing things, uh, would not use a smartphone because they thought it's impossible, too difficult, whatever. Then it became uh, a, a, just a standard of doing things. And uh, same with computers. And uh, same with, uh, if you go even earlier, same with cars. Uh, people were thinking that horses were the best thing to, to, do, to use. Probably they were thinking that was thinking about uh, trying, trying to uh, invent cars were stupid and they had to buy horses instead. Uh, the technology always evolves because it just solves the need at that point. It helps us do things better. So anything that's to do with robotics right now, I think, all the technology needs to be accepted because in five years, maybe 10 years' time, we'll see so much more of that. And, and mm-hmm. people get it better, better episode because uh, it's going to be there and it's going to be doing interesting things. Yeah. And so in that yeah. regard, let's end with some fun questions. So the first one is, what's another London startup that you really love? There are lots of EF startups, lots, lots of interesting startups who are doing cool stuff. Uh, can't really think of stuff on top of my head. There, there's there's uh, one, one startup that I kind of admire. It's uh, uh, called Osbotica. Uh, it's not really EF startup. It's an it's, uh, extremely British uh, startup. <laughs> it's been funded by the British government, actually, uh, to, to mm-hmm. promote uh, autonomous technologies like self-driving cars. And I think... Uh, what happened was uh, that uh, companies like Uber and lots of American companies, I think Google as well, tried to buy that startup. But uh, the founders, the, the founder, we call the founder, you know, kind of a for, for, uh, force of nature, basically. And he would not, he would not sell because this is what he loved doing, and kind of you know, this is what he uh, believed in, and this is where his uh, life was, sort of the whole uh, life experience was put into that startup. And uh, it's really amazing what these guys are doing. And uh, they kind of managed to go around with all venture capital money as well and uh, make, uh, making the technology stay in, in, in the country, like not, you know, take uh, Google profits to become Google's uh, um, and it goes out of the country. So uh, that's not happening with them. And uh, that's, that's really cool that these guys are not really motivated that much about money, but they're motivated about building the right thing and building the future. And mm. the right technology, what we believe in, and it's something what this I'm trying to do as well. I, I hope we had more startups like that. Unfortunately, you know, money is hard to combine, and uh, you, have, you have to uh, get, like, do what you get. But uh, yeah, Oxbotica is definitely one of those. And then finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you want to interview and why? Yeah, I would definitely do the thing with Oxbotica, but I think they would never talk to uh, a podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been so busy building this right now. I, I don't really think what other startups are doing. It's, uh, it doesn't match actually for me. I, I'd, I'd like to talk to guys from Google for sure, and just, just mm-hmm. to see how they are and how they think. And uh, yeah, I think uh, they managed to make it right, and it's still uh, going strong. So yeah, definitely Google followers, I think. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on my show today. It was awesome to have you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. That's that's, that's great. Thanks. All right, and that's a wrap on this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for week 40.